Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I am your host, I am the Big Recon. Today is Sunday, August the 2nd, 2020, and it has been a rough day in Metsland. Another loss in Atlanta, dropping the last three in a row. I mean, what are you going to do? Atlanta's won two consecutive uh, division titles for a reason. They're a very talented team, although I didn't think they were going to be as good this year as... Um, a lot of people thought they were just because I didn't think their pitching was going to be up to par. But hey, they've been great. So, today was tough for another reason. I'm going to get into that in the meat of everything. But just looking at this week in review, the Mets had two great games in Boston. Winning the first two games of that series and dropping the next two uh, to the Red Sox at home. What bothered me most about that was not that they lost those games. It was that they had leads in both of those games and let them get away. Uh, and that was with DeGrom and Steven Matz on the hill. You can't do that with your two best on the bump. It's just not something you can afford to do, especially for a team that is struggling offensively. Uh, they've got to Atlanta. Listen, it, Atlanta's been tough for the Mets for years. Yesterday annoyed me more. A six-run inning, a big lead that they just let get away, and the bullpen was terrible. So today... Another story, you had um, the kid Peterson going today who won his first start on Tuesday night. Congratulations to him. He was great. Uh, my impressions of him so far, good, solid left-handed arm, great breaking stuff, command of the fastball both in inside and out of the strike zone. Uh, he's been really good. He just didn't have it today, and he pitched six good innings today. It wasn't that he was bad. It's just he left a couple balls up, and that's what happens when you play against a really good Atlanta team, you're going to get beat with that. So this week was tough for the Mets. We got tomorrow where they play in Atlanta again. Jacob DeGrom goes tomorrow. Hopefully he can get a W out of this one after having a couple of games blown for him. But I want to talk about some Mets history tonight. And we're going to start there and we're going to finish with what happened today and its impact moving forward. So... July 31st, this past Friday, which has been traditionally the Major League Baseball trading deadline for the last several decades, uh, has come and gone, and obviously the trade deadline now is August 31st with the uh, restart on July 24th and the sm shorter season. And it's also five years since the Mets made one of the biggest impacted trades and didn't make one of the biggest impacted trades in franchise history. Mm -hmm. So as you see what shirt I have on today, it is the first seven-line shirt I've ever owned, and that is the just cartoon Yoana Cespedes with Yo on the bottom. So obviously you know where I'm going to finish this broadcast, but I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start with five years ago this past Wednesday, July the 29th, 2015. The Mets were playing the San Diego Padres, and sometime during that game, The Mets, it had been leaked on social media that we're going to trade shortstop Wilmer Flores and starting pitcher Zach Wheeler to the Milwaukee Brewers for Carlos Gomez, the former Met who was a cornerstone in the Uanus, the Uanus, excuse me, in the Johan Santana trade in 2008, bringing home a young, uh, well, he was a young player at the Mets, bringing home a former Met to help them try and get into the stretch drive to win the pennant. We all know what happened next. Flores is on the field and actually crying. 
Wilmer was a Met from the time he was 16 years old until he left in free agency a couple years ago. Then something miraculous happened. Being a Met fan for as long as I have been, the Mets have made a lot of great trades to get us players to get us to the next level. I have referenced, my opinion, the two best ones uh, that came on different days besides the trade deadline. Uh, two of them that in history did happen on the trade deadline, but they happened when it was the trade deadline was June 15th. All the way back in 1969, the Mets acquired Don Clendenin to be the right-handed first baseman to Ed Cranepool's left-handed one in Gil Hodges' platoon that he had at almost every position on the field with rare exception. The other June 15th trade deadline trade the Mets made was the acquisition of Keith Hernandez in 1983. Hernandez was the catalyst to the 1986 World Championship. Then, of course, you have the May of 1998 deal for Mike Piazza. But the trade deadline in 2015 was one of the more, I don't want to say anticipated, but more, high, more highly scrutinized than they have had in years and years. And here's why. This was a Mets rotation that was built for the postseason, as they showed in 2015. Led by Matt Harvey and the re-rise of the Dark Knight a year after having Tommy John surgery. You had 2015 All-Star and 2014 National League Rookie of the Year, Jacob deGrom, who was just getting better as it went on. You had two rookie phenoms in Noah Syndergaard, who came up in May and was lights out, and of course the Long Island boy, Steven Matz, who came up in June and in his first start went seven innings and drove in four runs. The Mets pitching was built to win then, and that's without Zach Wheeler, who sat out 15 and a lot of 16 with Tommy John. And of course, bringing up the rear in that five-piece is the great Bartolo Colon. Man, I hope they sign him now. But at 4 p.m. on July 31st, 2015, the New York Mets made the move that no one saw coming, sending Louis, Michael Fulmer and Louis Sessa to the Detroit Tigers for Ioannis Cespedes. Let me put this out here very, very clearly. The New York Mets do not have a hat that says that or any other gear or win a pennant without Yoannis Cespedes. Of course, that night you have the Wilmer Flores walk-off home run, which was the Hollywood ending to a three-day thing for that kid. He will be a Met forever just because of that. The next night you had Cespedes' first game in the Lucas Duda show as he drove in every run and the Mets won the second game of that series against the Nationals. Then you get the third night. Syndergaard falls behind early. Jordan Zimmerman hangs a curveball with a man on to Curtis Granderson and he hits it out to give the Mets a 2-1 lead. The very next pitch, no one had sat down in the ballpark. Daniel Murphy hits it up into the top of what was then the Pepsi porch, which is now the Coca-Cola corner. The next batter is Cespedes. He gets a base hit. Literally two pitches later, Lucas Duda hits a two-run homer to give the Mets a five spot, which they never came look back from. And from that moment on, the Mets played baseball better than we had seen it in nearly 30 years. Running away from the National League East and the Nationals especially, sinking, uh, clinching the 2015 National League Eastern Division Championship in Cincinnati, beating the Dodgers and the Cubs in the postseason to get to the World Series, and even though it didn't end the way he wanted it to, 
what a ride 2015 was. But I will go back to what I said a couple of minutes ago. The New York Mets do not win a pennant in 2015 if Ioannis Cespedes is not acquired from the Detroit Tigers. I don't think they win that pennant with Carlos Gomez. I don't think they win the division with Carlos Gomez. Here's why. Cespedes hit 17 bombs in six weeks. He cooled off in the postseason, but he hit some of the biggest home runs that this team needed all year long outside of the Flores home run. He hit two nights in a row off of Drew Stanton to get the Mets uh, leads late in games in Washington. Um, I'm sorry, one of them was a home run. One of them was a basis-clearing double. Uh, the basis-clearing double was the night that uh, Kirk Neuenheis, who had been released, went to Milwaukee, released again, and back to the Mets, uh, hit the home run off of Papelbon to win it. Uh, he hit the double on Labor Day that drove in David Wright with the great fist pump picture you see of David. And, of course, the third game, the home run off Stanton to give the Mets a 4-2 lead late in the game. Cespedes did everything he was asked to do. He made good defensive plays. He was big in clutch offensive spots. He was great. 2016, I'll say this too, the New York Mets do not get to the wildcard game if not for Ioannis Cespedes. 31 homers, 90 RBIs, a great season out of Cespedes in really his only full season healthy with the Mets. Which brings me to today and the way it unfolded. I actually fell asleep this afternoon, um, and when I woke up, I saw something on my phone, and it said, Mets don't know where Cespedes is. He didn't show up to the ballpark. Okay. Yo's an eccentric guy, but this isn't, this is weird. Well, it came out several hours later that Cespedes has now opted out of the 2020 season and forfeited his salary for his final year in a New York Met uniform. So tonight, I'm going to do a little analyzation of today. Obviously, I gave you my look back at Cespedes. While 17, 18, and 19 were injury-filled, 15 and 16 were outstanding. And got the Mets to places they would not have gone without Ioannis Cespedes in the lineup. I would call his five, almost five years in a New York Met uniform tumultuous at best. He had the big moment this year on opening day, hitting the home run, giving the Mets a one nothing win in Jacob deGrom's opening day start. Um, he looked a little lost at the plate. He lost basically two seasons to foot injuries. Um, but I stand by what I said. The Mets don't get to the World Series in 2015 without Cespedes. I don't have this hat with the 2015 World Series logo on it without Ioannis Cespedes. It has since come out that Cespedes told his agents that he was leaving and opting out, and no one got in touch with the Mets. Could this have been handled better on both sides? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I fault him for opting out of the season? No, I don't. And here's why. We are dealing with unprecedented stuff right now. We don't know what's going to happen when. Him doing this for his own health is his business, and people need to leave him alone about it. But could he have handled it better for a franchise that basically had paid him a ton of money to not play? Yes, he should have handled it a little bit better. I agree with that 100%. Um, so, 
there's a lot of things that can be looked at with this. You know, Cano is hot right now. Alonzo's not hitting. Jeff McNeil's quietly hitting over 300, which is crazy scary. Um, Andres Jimenez has been outstanding. He has been phenomenal playing two different, three different positions. Now he played shortstop, played second, he played third. The kid's the real deal. Conforto has struggled. The pitching, the bullpen has been absolutely atrocious. The pitching has struggled. There are a lot of Met fans who are throwing in the hat for this season. I am not. But if they do, there is an opportunity to set the Mets up for years to come. Now, before you turn this off and say, oh, he's just another homer, this is what he's going to do, I want you to hear me out. I want you to hear me out on the unique opportunity the New York Mets have to make this season a springboard to a better team and franchise for the next five to seven years. And it's really not that hard. This year we have the Universal DH in the America, in the National League. Not a huge fan of it, but let's take advantage of it. I'm also pretty sure this is Robinson Cano's final year of his contract. Hmm. Which means there's going to be a hole at second base. And the Mets haven't found a center fielder yet. Even though... Brendan Immo's pretty good. Conforto can play there. But the Mets haven't found a center fielder yet. Here's what I would do if I was the New York Mets. The minute you have to throw in the towel on this abbreviated season, and with the expanded playoffs, that's not going to be for a while. I think you do the thing that I've been preaching since day one, and you move Pete Alonso to third base. And you then tell Cano, you're going to DH the rest of the year, and if your contract's not done, we're going to trade you in the offseason. And you move Jeff McNeil back to second, where he excelled in 2018. Then you do the thing this offseason that could put you head and shoulders above every other team you play. And you move Ahmed Rosario to center field. And you make Andres Jimenez your everyday shortstop. Here's why. I think Rosario's got a better arm. I believe he can adapt quicker. And I think Jimenez is going to be the better glove. And you move Dominic Smith to first base. And you keep him at a position where in your organization, albeit in the broadcast booth, you have the greatest defensive first baseman who has ever put a glove on their hand. Who absolutely loves the way this guy plays first base. Why has this not happened yet? I will tell you. Because the Mets did not plan for life without David Wright. It breaks my heart to say this. The minute Cap had the spinal stenosis, their next big draft pick should have been a third baseman. And if it was Pete Alonso. Throw away the first baseman's mitt. Move him to third. Because his bat would have got him to the major leagues last year no matter what. His glove can be worked on. There are plenty of third basemen in this league that are marginal defensively, but are there for their offense. Heck, there's a guy with his number retired at that ballpark that was marginal defensively behind the plate, but he hit 396 home runs as a catcher, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Why can't you work that same thing at third base? 
If I'm the New York Mets and the New York Mets front office, this is the move I make. Because David's coming off the books. Cespedes is coming off the books. Get rid of Cano. Unless the DH stays in the, in the National League. Um, you have a young core that you can win with. You have a young core where you can re-sign your pitchers. I just looked it up. Cano's a free agent after 2024. But I think they can move him. I think you can get him back to the American League and you can use the youth. You still have J.D. Davis is under, your, under control. Conforto is going to be re-signed. It is a necessity, not an option. Michael Conforto is a necessity. So is Noah Syndergaard, and so is Marcus Stroman, and so is Steven Matz. You have your fifth starter in Peterson. The Mets will now, if they do what I'm saying, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Matz, Stroman, and Peterson, that is a heck of a five. Then you got to send Enwood Diaz back from where he came. Anywhere but here. Anywhere. Stick him in one of the capsules they just brought back from uh, space today. I don't care. He's got to go. My buddy Nick, who you've heard on the podcast, is shocked because Diaz was lights out. Well, guess what? Now he's turning the lights out too for the Mets. And he plays for the Mets. You have bullpen depth. Familia has looked really good. But Tansis, he's not quite there yet, but he's almost there. And he's been pretty good. Justin Wilson has had one hiccup as opposed to everybody else who's just like spitting all over themselves. Seth Lugo is filthy. And he is the best multi-inning reliever I have seen in a Met uniform since the days of Jesse Orozco and Roger McDowell. This is a team that can be built to win for years to come if the Mets just pull the trigger on one thing. Move Pete Alonso to first base, or third base, and the second thing is get rid of Robinson Cano. I like Cano. I think he's a great player. I think he's a great mentor for the younger Hispanic players in the system. But guess what? None of it means a thing if you're not winning. And unfortunately, the Mets are not winning. And it hurts me. If there comes a time where this season is going to be tossed by the wayside, I think you have to look at doing this set of moves. Because it will set you up for years to come. You have an extra year of control on Alonzo than Dominic Smith. They both love playing for the New York Mets. You can get them to sign some kind of team-friendly deals. Although Steve Cohen buys the Mets, he'll just throw money around like it's water. You can get them to sign some kind of team-friendly deals. You have paid Jacob deGrom, in my opinion, so far under market value that you have been you are going to be able to guarantee keeping this rotation together for close to another five years. You have outfield talent in, in Nimmo and Conforto and Pete Crow Armstrong, the kid they drafted this year. Fun fact. Pete Crow Armstrong's mother is the woman who played the mom in Little Big League. So yes, the one who married the baseball player after he made him promise he'd hit a home run off of Randy Johnson in the final game, that's his mom. And it's also the guy from Field of Dreams. 
This is a team that can win a lot of games if you figure out how to get these guys on the field at the same time. So let me give you what my lineup would be from here till the end of the season if the Mets made that move right now. Andres Jimenez would lead off and play shortstop every single day. Why? He's fast. He's a contact hitter with a tiny bit of pop. And if you watched anything he's done the last few days, in his first Major League start, he had two hits. A base hit going to left field like a seasoned hitter would, and a booming triple to center. I would bat Michael Confort. I would bat Jeff McNeil second still. He is the prototypical second hitter. Put the ball in play, hit for a high average, let the guy in front of you run a little bit. Pete Alonso bats third. Michael Conforto bats fourth. Robinson Cano would bat fifth, and he would DH. Um, I would bat Dominic Smith sixth. I'm sorry, I would bat J.D. Davis sixth. Bat Dominic Smith seventh. Bat Wilson Ramos eighth. And I would bat Brandon Nimmo ninth. Can't do that. I miss somebody. Jimenez leads off and plays short. McNeil bats second, plays second base. Oh, Rosario in center field. That's the other move. Move Ahmed Rosario to center field. You probably can't do that till the offseason. But move him to center field. Teach him to play center field. Because he's got a great arm. He can run like the wind. If you turn him into a decent defensive center fielder, Win-win. You get the young buck playing shortstop now. You move Alonzo to third. You move Dominic Smith to first. McNeil back to second. You have a great core in this team that is all homegrown, and you fit pieces where you need them. The Mets are going to need a catcher next year. I don't. I think Wilson Ramos is on a two-year contract. Tomas Nito is not ready. Go out and get yourself a catcher. Go out and make the moves you need to make and sign the guys you have that are talented. It's the one thing the Mets have not done in a long, long time. The last Met to start his career and end it without ever touching free agency or going anywhere else was David. Before that, pretty sure it was Mookie Wilson, but he was traded. Maybe Ed Cranepool? They have the ability right now to set themselves up for the next five to seven years with a lot of talent and a lot of good things to go around. Don't give up on this season. You're three and seven through the first ten. You can easily go seven and three for the for the next ten and be ten and ten after the first twenty, and you got forty games to go. I think thirty and thirty is going to get into this thing, and then with the pitching, the Mets can do damage in the in the postseason. So just to recap real quick, it has been five years since the Wilmer Flores home run. It's been five years since the Uena Cespedes trade. And this October, it will be five years since the Mets last won the pennant. There was one piece missing from that 2015 team. And I'm going to end this week's episode with here. Just the other day, Jose Reyes announced his formal retirement for Major League Baseball, having not played another game since the end of the 2018 season with the New York Mets. I remember the day in 2003 when Jose Reyes made his Major League debut. It was in Texas against the Rangers. 
when Josh Lewin, who called the 2015 World Series for the Mets, was still working for the Texas Rangers. Reyes hit his second pitch that he ever saw into right field for a base hit. He spent 12 of his 16 years in the major leagues in a New York Met uniform, making the left side of the infield we were hoping to see for over a decade with David Wright. Both players signed contracts before free agency to stay with the Mets. Reyes brought the Mets their first ever batting title. Reyes is the all-time leader for the Mets in triples and home runs. Reyes is the first player that both my daughter and my wife decided to like when it came to loving the Mets like I do. Two quick uh, personal stories. Father's Day 2008 was the final year of Shea Stadium. I took my daughter to, uh, it was a doubleheader against Texas. And I got to see Pedro pitch in a Met uniform. It was the first time I had seen my last name, Martinez, on the back of a Met uniform. Um, live, anyway. I'd watched Pedro pitch since 05. And then Reyes was coming to the plate to the Apple Bottom Jeans song. I don't even remember the name of the song. Uh, I think it's Low by Flo Rida. And my daughter danced the whole time. Every time he came up. My wife and I, when we started dating, I actually went to meet her at the one park we used to go to for dinner all the time. We'd get Subway or what have you, and we'd go have like a picnic. And I got there one day, and she's wearing my white Mets hat, which I hadn't seen in a while, and a Jose Reyes t-shirt. So, Jose will always have a soft spot in my heart for that stuff. But outside of that, Jose Reyes was the prototypical leadoff man and won that was doing things that hadn't been done in years. We were already into the big basher section of baseball history. Reyes was stealing bags at a clip no one had seen in a long time. In his f- second full season, he broke Roger Cedeno's team record and stole 78 bags. He is one of a handful of players, I don't know the exact number, who have 2,000 hits, and 500 stolen bases. Because I'm going to do something really bad here. I'm actually going to look it up. How many players have 2,000 hits and 500 stolen bases? Jose Reyes is the only shortstop in Major League history with at least 2,000 hits, 500 stolen bases, and 110 home runs. At the time that this came out, when he stole his 500th base a few years ago, him and Ichiro were the only active players with 2,000 hits and 500 stolen bases. I like to usually have my stats done. I had forgotten that stat, so I looked it up on I'm recording here. So I say this. Thank you for the memories, Jose Reyes. You will. I don't care if you sign with Miami. I don't care that you played in Toronto. And I don't care that you had a star-crossed time in Colorado. You will always be a Met, especially to me. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for the excitement. And thank you for making the triple something that we all are going to enjoy watching again. So I will come to you next week with another Mets re. Uh, week in review. Hopefully it's a little bit better. I will say this in this episode. 
Next Thursday is my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, honey. Um, I find it very funny that the first time the Mets have a day off is on her birthday. As always, Big Recon can be found as a member of the TimeSkew Podcast Network on TimeSkew.com. It can also be found on Google, Anchor, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Breaker, and Radio Public. YouTube, Big Recon on Sports, if you're watching, that's where you got me right now. Facebook, Big Recon on Sports, and of course, Twitter, at Big Recon on Sport. And now, like I had said, the Instagram page will have the links to everything, Big Recon on Sports. Have a wonderful rest of your week, everybody. Good week, everybody. I will see you next Sunday, and hopefully we'll have a few more wins. Let's go, Mets.